Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. You know, Steve, our listeners have probably noticed that our podcast is titled Porn, Betrayal, Sex, and the Experts, right? Mm -hmm. And today we're going to focus on the second word in that podcast title, betrayal. And it's really easy. You know, I remember back in my recovery, when I first got into recovery, there was a lot of attention on me, right? Yeah, Yeah. I came out of secrecy. There was terrible you know, initial fallout. And I thought the end of my world and destruction and, you know, mayhem and all hands on deck for Mark because he's finally honest and now he's getting help. And there are all these awesome, wonderful resources for me to go forward. Uh huh. And what happens as we so often see is the person that was kind of left in the dust a little bit was my wife. Yeah. yeah. And as you and I have, you know, we've been through experiences with our own wives in this process. And as we've worked with a lot of women over the years, it can be easy for the wife of an addict to kind of feel like she's been forgotten or neglected or, you know, where, where, where are the resources for me? What about me? Yeah. Right. I'm going through all these feelings and we're going to, we're going to talk as, as raw and real as we can today about that. What happens when you find yourself in that place of betrayal? Now, we're going to say right up front, we are in no way suggesting that we know what it's like to be you. Absolutely. Because we don't. Uh, but we, we do have this enormous amount of empathy and softness in our hearts because of what we can look back on today that we put our own wives through, right? Their, mm-hmm. their trauma and betrayal that they experienced. And just so many that we've worked with. So our, we, we just have a great deal, a, a really 
loving and compassionate and soft feeling in, in our hearts, in our minds for the women and what you suffer and what you go through. So please know that while we can't completely relate to you, um, we've, we've seen so much come from your side and, and uh, we're going to really try to get in tune with that today. Absolutely. So I'm going to kind of take a little bit different role today. I'm going to come from the, try to come from the aspect of a wife and ask questions that I know in my work with my own wife and, and other women, questions that are really important to them in this process of, that they go through. And then Steve's going to respond to that. Uh, and so we'll kind of go back and forth that way. So I'm in the hot seat, huh? <laughs> You're in the hot me? seat. I get to grill you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love the hot seat. So let's say that uh, I'm a wife and I've, I've just found out about my husband's infidelity. Mm, uh, an affair, his deep you know, involvement with pornography or strip clubs or massage parlors or whatever it is. It's all come out. And now I know that he's been unfaithful. And suddenly this avalanche, this tidal wave of emotions hit me, right? I'm, mm. I'm depressed one moment. I feel yeah. normal the next. I'm on this roller coaster ride. And I, I literally feel like I'm going crazy, mm. right? What, what am I to make of all that? Like, oh my gosh, I, 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 don't, know what, I don't know what's happening. That's a great, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, as I, as I look at that and as, as you're talking about it, I mean, I've, I've, I've probably heard this question phrased, you know, countless times in my office. I would say that what you're feeling is completely normal. Um, and, and that the things that you're feeling that emotional up and down among other things that we're going to talk about here on this podcast today are perfectly normal and they are classic symptoms of what we call betrayal trauma, which is just a, a subset of trauma. Uh, which is what uh, spouse goes through among other things when, when the bottom of a relationship falls out for all the reasons we're going to talk about. Um, in fact, I would make an argument that not only is it uh, normal to feel what you're feeling, but the fact that you're so hurt by your spouse's actions is actually evidence that not only are you not crazy, but it's just a reflection of the attachment and commitment that you feel to the relationship. Uh, I would say that it'd, it'd be a lot less healthy if you didn't feel anything and maybe even less healthy isn't the right word, but there might be some numbing going on there and you might be in kind of the shock phase of it. So as you start to move into that headspace of kind of trying to wrap your head around what used to be versus what I know now after a disclosure like that of that magnitude, um, it's going to be perfectly normal for your brain to kind of be reaching out and trying to feel, feel that space out, you know, is this going to be, you know, and try to kind of come to a level place with it. So uh, commonly when I work with wives, I mean, even this, even in the session that I'll in a session when I'll be working with them, they'll be crying one moment, yelling the next and laughing some at the end and everything in between. And, and all those things are, are not only normal, I would say, but actually really healthy. You know, and, and Steve, I think that's a great point. It, I know it's hard, really hard when this first hits you to try to pull anything positive out of it. But if I've seen something positive, it would be that the intensity of the emotions that you feel, even, even, even very negative emotions initially, right? Anger and frustration and resentment and just all the things that hit, the intensity of that, motion, of that emotion really proves that you care deeply about the relationship. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's mm -hmm. actually a good sign, right? It feels, hor it feels horrible and, and just just awful at the moment, but it means this, this, this means something to me. 
Yeah. I'm invested in this relationship. I want to see this succeed. So the, the, you know, the immensity of those emotions and feeling, you know, so, so overwhelming is not all bad. Yeah. It means I care. If I was just completely numb and like, oh, whatever, indifferent, that would indicate that, you know, I'm done. But when yes. I'm just really intense and everything comes spilling out, uh, I care about this. Yeah. This is really important to me. You know, so that would lead us into the next question, which would be, well, okay, so what is normal to feel after I find out about mm. my husband's infidelity? Yeah. Okay. What's, what's within the bounds of norm of normalcy? Yeah. No, that's a great, uh, that's a great question. And whether it's infidelity or pornography addiction or something, something else related, um, I would say the number one thing kind of building off of that first question is that there is no manual for feelings uh, following something like this, of this magnitude happening. When we're going to, if we're going to have a discussion about betrayal trauma, we have to talk about a couple of rules that is, and I know that you're in a difficult place right now for those who are listening, but uh, you have to kind of keep these things in the back of your mind as we go through this process. And as you go through your, your journey of healing, the first thing is that trauma is always in the eye of the beholder. Um, and what I mean by that is nobody has the right to tell you how to feel uh, following something like this happening. In my office, I frequently work with wives who, you know, will be dealing with what some might consider to be quote unquote lesser acting out behavior or less infidelity or less severe fidelity, rather infidelity in the marriage who are much more grounded and much more level in terms of their emotional response or their reaction uh, following that betrayal. And I'll work with, with uh, wives who are dealing with much less severe issues than that uh, in terms of, you know, just looking at them from the external point of view, but who are, who are highly reactive and highly traumatized. And, and the reality is, is neither one is right because the way that our brain interprets trauma is kind of this rapid calculation of, of, of a whole variety of things for everything from your background to your growing up years, to the way you were raised, to your moral value system, to the way in which the betrayal was found out about. I mean, there's just a countless amount of things that kind of go into uh, the way that you, the way your brain interprets uh, that situation and where you're at. So um, that's important to keep in mind. Um, yeah, the other thing, a lot oh, of go times, ahead. Go ahead. a lot of times we we can get into this place of classifying the betrayal. Right? Well, it's yeah. pretty minor. Well, he's only looked at pornography, so why are you so upset? Mm-hmm. Or he's had he's had an adulterous affair. Okay, now you have a right to really be angry. Absolutely, exactly. To put grading on that, and that's feelings are are feelings, and there's no way that you can classify them as to how you ought to feel. Like it's a like it's a chart. Let's look at the chart, and look at how you should feel. Yes, completely. No, completely <laughs> agree. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind, uh, rule number two with with trauma is that it always is a one way street. So if we're gonna talk excuse me, if we're going to talk about this intelligently, we have to recognize that unfortunately, as much as you or your spouse, you guys may want to go back in time to, you know, a time where this, this uh, trauma, this infidelity, this disclosure, this addiction, whatever it is that's going on to try and go back to a time before that existed, isn't, isn't possible. Um, There isn't a way to somehow undo the trauma. There isn't any more than there isn't a way to unpunch a person. You know, if I, if I was to punch Mark in the face, I could make amends and try to repair it and change it. But at the end of the day, Mark's the one that's got to do the healing. 
um, right before he kicks me in the butt. But um, <laughs> but he'd be the one that would have to do the healing. I can't, as much as I may want to take back my actions, I can't. And emotional trauma works that exact same way. So the goal that we're going to be looking towards is as we move through this journey and as you walk this journey, uh, ideally with you know a, a professional and a support system is going to be overcoming uh, the uh, the betrayal, finding acceptance, and therefore a, a start of healing with the betrayal, and then what we call post-traumatic growth, uh, meaning becoming this new person and incorporating what's happened into who you are today, as opposed to constantly looking back to trying to recapture what you may have been before. So yeah, that's that's what I would say about those uh, about those two things. Um, so just kind of kind of recap. Yeah, there is no handbook for this. There is no rule book. The big thing here to keep in mind is just how to be practicing as much as you can some self compassion. As Mark indicated, our culture is a lot of involves a lot about the shoulds. What should you feel in this situation? You know, what is normal? What is the standard? What is the statistic? And at the end of the day, uh, healing doesn't come about by saying, "Well, this is what I should feel." Healing begins when you acknowledge and recognize and honor what you are feeling. Yeah, and as we it, we start to talk about, you know, there's a broad range of feelings and whatever you're feeling is okay for you. There's another part of this process that immediately is often asks, uh, asked, and I, I get this a lot, right after disclosure where, you know, honesty has come into the process, a wife is fully aware or mostly aware of what her husband's been involved with. And now at some point, the question's going to come up, okay, now that this is out on the table, I know this, how does that affect my physical relationship with my mm. husband? Should I be having sex with him? Yeah. Because now you, all, of, all of this discovery that's come into the process can't help but have a dramatic impact on our relationship and especially our physical relationship. Mm-hmm. You, in some ways you could say that's all suddenly changed because yeah. the way I see it, even looking back on it, it's like, well, it was all a lie. Who was I having sex with exactly? Yeah. It's not who I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And, and am I willing to go forward now and just pretend like nothing's changed? And that, so that's a significant question with regard to the relationship. You know, what happens, what happens to the physical sex, the intimacy? Where do I go from here? You know, Mark, I'm just glad you're not hitting me with any heavy hitting questions, you know, because that would be, that would be bad. I'm glad these are all light. <laughs> uh, it's a great question. Uh, of course, I, I, I joke, but uh, I, I know that this is, this is very serious. Uh, if we're looking at, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of dimensions to consider in this question of, is it safe to have sex right now? Uh, the first one that I ask everybody to consider is always physically. That's the thing that has to take uh, first precedent. And it's not something any of us want to f- talk about or face. But if a spouse, uh, based on what they've discovered or found out about their partner, suspects or it's been confirmed that there's been a physical relationship with another partner, it, I would strongly recommend refraining from any sort of sexual contact. Uh, We'll talk about the emotional in a second, but you should be getting in, into, in, into having some STD testing as soon as you can to, for both you and your partner uh, to make sure that there's you know, not going to be a physical risk to being intimate. So that's, that'd be the first precedent. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I would, I would go with that. Um, emotionally, can I, can, I, can I trust him, right, is, is the question. Uh, 
the thing that you have to ask yourself is, you know, would, would us being sexual be representative of how, of our current level of connection? Or is it going to be something ulterior? So what I mean by that is, am I, am I showing up as what, you know, Mark and I refer to as our authentic, as my authentic self? Meaning if I'm, why am I wanting to be sexual right now? Is it from a place of, I still feel a level of connection sufficient enough that it can be reflected in physical intimacy or I can be authentic and be open and vulnerable that way with my partner in an authentic way. Or am I doing it from either a place of being manipulated or maybe some sort of background manipulation? And what I mean by that isn't anything nefarious, but it's very uh, common when I work with wives. For example, I worked with a couple uh, not, not, not too long ago, a couple years ago, who following the disclosure, if you were looking in on the outside on the relationship, you know, kind of looking inwards, you know, before disclosure, they were having sex, you know, maybe once a week or once every other week. And following disclosure, the immediate aftermath was they were having sex four or five times a week. And people on the outside might look at that and say, well, geez, that's, you know, obviously that's only had a, a positive impact. But as I worked with this couple, what we came to see pretty quick is what I commonly see, which is uh, the wife wasn't actually being sexual, increasingly so, from a place of being authentic or wanting to connect. Uh, she was doing it from really two places. The first one was trying to compete with either the addiction or the affair partner. You know, it's I, I've got to I've got to somehow be more sexy. I've got to be more attractive. I've got to be more sexual or try new things or, or or you know, be more out there. And those messages or those feelings on a wife's part or or the partner of an addict, I should say, his part are oftentimes, unfortunately, only amplified by what an addict is sometimes saying in a place of uh, emotional dishonesty or a place of addiction, which is, you know, oftentimes the things that I hear is, you know, this wouldn't have happened if we just had more sex or if we were more sexual more often, you know, and those kinds of those kinds of messages really feed into that component of feeling like you need to compete. And the reality is, we'll talk about this more another day, um, but sex addiction, as we've kind of alluded to in the past, has a lot less to do with sex and a lot more to do with the emotional issues driving it. And I bring that up right now just to reinforce the idea that you could show up as airbrushed and toned or as whatevered as, you know, whatever it is that your husband's been pursuing and it wouldn't matter. Um, and there's no reason to even attempt trying. His addiction is his issue and the issues that he's having, even though he may disagree, are not with your lack of attractiveness. They have everything to do with internal stuff that he is dealing with and either not willing or able to face currently. Um, so that would be the other component to kind of uh, keep in mind. The, the other uh, reason why we sometimes will see like se the sexuality increase on the par part of a partner is around this notion of, I had a wife tell me once, I, you know, I feel like I've got to keep in the term she used was sexed up, meaning I've got to kind of keep the gas tank full, right? If he's going out of town on business or if, if I'm going to be leaving on a girl's trip or whatever, I've got to, I've got to have a lot of sex with him, quote unquote, so that I can, you know, I, I can have safety or, or he'll have a better chance of, of not acting out or not, you know, going back to the affair partner or in my absence or whatever the case may be. And while that is an understandable reaction, going back to my point before this really had the addiction, I know it's hard, it's hard to grasp for you wives, but it really has very little to do with you. Um, if anything, this has everything to do with him. What he does with, you know, his genitalia and with his brain is his business and his responsibility and isn't something that you should be changing or trying to compensate for. Uh, doing so is a really, sets a really dangerous precedent 
And, and again, I know you're going to hear this a lot from us in the first few weeks, but we will talk about this on another episode, but you really do run the risk of becoming unwittingly becoming your husband's drug um, and actually becoming uh, the very thing that you're trying to help him avoid, uh, which is really poisoning the relationship in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot more about that with regard to healthy boundaries. You know, what are appropriate boundaries? Uh, things that previously you would have considered to be, you just would never dare to go there once this disclosure about his sexual behaviors comes out. Uh, a part of a, a part of a woman's healing is learning that she can set boundaries, that she can put her foot down and start to establish lines that are not to be crossed. Yes. And we'll talk more about that, uh, you know, as we go forward with other podcasts. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. -on -one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. You know, one of the things that comes up we often hear is, okay, now that I know all of this, um, I'm done with this relationship. I want out. Mm, yeah. And we, we see a lot of women who really wrestle with that. Is, is that appropriate? Is it not? Am I going to be shunned or uh, ill thought of by others if I decide that I just can't stick with this? You know, how do you come to, how do you come to grips with that? And there's the, there's the issue of having that initial knee-jerk reaction because of pain very legitimately, right? I'm just done. I, it's so mm -hmm. horrific yeah. that you just want to run. But then balancing that with uh, a long-term, well-thought-out decision. And so coming to, come to, coming to some conclusions about what to do with the relationship can be really difficult, especially in the heat of the moment when suddenly you've learned all of these secrets? Absolutely. No, it's great. Uh, great question. And like you said, something we hear, we hear a lot. Um, I, again, I'll, I'll go back to not to repeat too much, but what you're feeling is totally normal. Um, there are a lot of factors that go into whether or not a relationship is viable following this kind of betrayal. And here's, here's my plug for, for today. I, I really heavily recommend you get in with a, with a qualified professional who can kind of weigh in on this, not only because of their training, but because they're a trusted third party who can kind of help you navigate those because the feelings that you're feeling are extremely powerful and, and they're valid, but they are going to change quite a bit. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is, is, is you may need to be out of the relationship. You may need to be done. And when I work with wives, we do a lot of work to kind of come to that conclusion and screen for a lot of different things. Um, again, the trauma, and other, other factors. But if you feel like at the end of the day, you know, after having thought about that and, and pondered it and really got, you know, done some work around it, if that's what you need, then I would honor that as a, as, as a therapist. Uh, because I, you know, at the end of the day, you have to decide if you want to continue on the relationship and I wouldn't judge a, a spouse differently for that. The things that I typically, uh, 
recommend that spouses are looking to is even though they choosing to trust again or choosing to work on the relationship is a choice on their part. There are a couple of things that a, that a, a wife in this case, if the wife is the partner of the addict uh, can be looking to in order to kind of see if there are positive indicators where this can work. So there's a couple of things that go into that. Uh, the first one is what is his level of willingness to change, right? If this affair has come out, um, or, or this addiction or whatever the case is, what is he really, what is he wanting to do with it? Is he apathetic with it? Is he trying to justify and minimize the behavior? Um, make it seem not as bad, as bad as it is. Is he willing to take accountability? Is he resistant to holding on to your feelings or, or listening to you or validating? Um, these are all things that are kind of, kind of things that a wife should be looking at, especially in those first couple of days, couple of weeks in terms of, you know, is, is this going to work? Because, as much as I, I have worked with many spouses in the past who, in fact, I, I worked with one not too long ago who, who went through a divorce in a situation like this. And she spent the better part of a year and a half doing everything she could on her end to work on the relationship. But at the end of the day, her husband had made the decision that he was going to continue on in his addiction and wasn't willing to make the changes that needed to happen. And it didn't matter how much work she did or what she tried or, or the effort she put in at the end of the day, the, the marriage just simply wasn't viable anymore because their, you know, their goals weren't compatible anymore. She needed fidelity and trust and he wasn't willing to provide the things needed for those. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage when, when somebody, uh, you know, when, when the bottom falls out on something like this, uh, again, really important to, to have some people in your life, ideally a professional who you can trust. Um, we, re we definitely recommend that you don't make any hasty decisions uh, for that. Um, one way or the other, sometimes we'll see the opposite, right? I know Mark's probably seen this too, where sometimes I have, and I have worked with spouses where they actually go to the other direction. They say, it doesn't matter what he does, I'm not leaving. And that, all, that is, I would argue, an equally unhealthy place to be uh, because every relationship should have boundaries. Every relationship should have conditions. And um, you can unconditionally love somebody, but I don't think you can unconditionally stay with somebody. Those are, those are different things. And so, um, not making any, any quick decisions, uh, but then looking, like I said, to these elements, is he willing to change? Is he open to something different? Uh, does he want to do something different? Are you seeing physical evidence of it? Is he getting into therapy? Is he getting into a 12 step group? Is he, is he making an effort to try and create trust again with you, uh, through, you know, sharing how his day went more proactively or, or, you know, all of those things that we, we try to look at. So that would, that's not an end all be all, but that would definitely be a, a good starting point. Yeah. And a part of that staying in the relationship, as you said, you know, what's the addict's attitude towards his own recovery. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that comes up a lot, which is understandable with wives and, and even from the addicts themselves, right? Can he ever get better? Mm -hmm. Right. Can he ever heal? And, and I can, I can talk to that, you know, from our standpoint, sure. Uh, on the spot, we call ourselves the experts but we come from two places on that. One is, of course, working with a lot of people with these issues over many, many years, but our own recovery, right? What we went yeah. through in addiction. And as I look at my past, you know, I, I developed an addiction as a kid and it continued from that point forward nearly 30 years. And I consider myself, as I look at it for, as a clinician, to have one of the most severe addictions I know of, me personally. And I'm living proof, and so are you as we sit here today, that it is possible to come out of this. It is possible to live a normal, healthy, recovered life. So we're proof 
that that can happen. And, uh, you know, we're often asked, so tell us about the cure rate. What percentage mm. of people are actually cured? Who gets over this addiction? <laughs> and while we'd like to produce a chart that shows, you know, yes, 96.3% of, but really what it comes down to is the willingness on the part of the addict to, to really do the work. I like to say it works if you work it. Absolutely. And I think your, your experience is similar. We're, mm-hmm. we're yet to find someone who's willing to just dig in and do whatever it takes to do yes. everything that we tell them to do, to do the work and to do it consistently for as long as it takes. They will recover. They will yeah. come out of it. And you can have a, a restored and healed relationship. It's not going to be easy. In fact, for a lot of guys, it's the hardest thing. It may be the hardest thing they ever do but it's absolutely possible. Um, and so as, so as we look at that, that's the hope for the future. Then a lot of times we have this tendency to look backwards. Well, I'm looking back on our entire marriage. Was any of it real? Who, right? Who were you? Was I mm-hmm. living with an imposter the entire time? Was anything we experienced from the time I, we dated and when you asked me to marry you, was it all a facade? Was it all a pretense? And that can be a really difficult set of emotions as you look back and think, man, I've been living in a complete illusion. Sure. Sure. No, uh, I completely agree. And, and that's a very common response. You know, when betrayal happens, and this is one of the most, you know, damning elements of, of uh, you know, di- there, are, there are different ways in which what we call disclosure happens, right? Um, there are cases like mine where, even though I was naive about the severity and the impact it was having on my relationship, I was, I've always been transparent with my wife about my struggle with, with my addiction, uh, even before we got married. And to be honest with you, looking back on those early days, it's probably the only thing I did right, um, was, was being honest and, and open about that. And so uh, while that obviously was still triggering and traumatizing when it started to kind of rise up and escalate and was, was awful and terrible and wrong um, for all the reasons we've talked about, uh, it was, my wife has mentioned on more than one occasion and, and in our work together, you know, in therapy and things that, that, uh, that was a, you know, a big mitigating factor for her in terms of, you know, feeling like she could have a base to build on. There are other cases where unfortunately that's not the case, uh, where the disclosure, where a couple of options happen. The first is a wife finds out about the, the infidelity or the addiction or whatever, on her own terms and the husband isn't open or honest about it or denies it or minimizes or whatever the case may be, those situations across the board, we see far more traumatizing. Uh, it's one of those big factors in terms of the depth of the trauma oftentimes for a spouse. I work with spouses all the time who have told me in many ways, in many occasions over the years that, uh, you know, the, I'm thinking of one woman in particular looking at me and saying, you know what, honestly, Steve, I'd never say this to my husband. But the sex piece, it did piss me off. Like it was frustrating and hurtful and the infidelity was, was awful. But the thing that really hurts and the thing that really I don't know if we're going to be able to move forward with or I'm going to be able to move forward with is exactly what Mark is talking about, right? It's this notion of, you know, what was, what was real? I feel like I am married to a stranger because if my partner could keep something like this from me and I'm the person who's supposed to know them the best, what? what the hell else are they keeping from me, right? What else are they holding back on? What else are they not talking about? What else might be going over 
might I have the wool being pulled over my eyes on or about? And, and so the whole bottom of the relationship in those kinds of dynamics or in cases of what we call like a staggered disclosure where little details or new pieces of it come out over time is that it can, that those disclosures, they undermine everything that happened previously. Um, and this kind of speaks to something we were going to talk about a little bit later in this podcast, but I'll just mention it now talking to uh, those addicts out there, those who are, who are on the betrayal, the betraying end of the equation in this case. And I say this with all the love in the world, but um, if you're not willing to be honest and open about the, uh, about where you're at, about what you're willing to do. And if you're not on a baseline willing to be honest about what exactly has happened behavior wise, where your headspace is at, and be willing to come clean to a full level about that stuff, um, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> I don't have a better, better way to put it. There is, the relationship has no hope if you aren't willing to be honest because we, we see that time and again, both in the research and in experience. Wives, most wives that I work with are willing to work with a spouse who is willing to work. Like Mark said, work, they're willing to work it. But if you're not willing to be honest and open, there is no hope for your wife to be able to connect or develop trust again. What, what kills relationships far more quickly in my office that I have seen over 10 years of doing this is, is that the deception and the lying will, will, will end the marriage far quicker than the sex will. The sex will do it too, for sure. But, but that deception piece is the piece that you simply can't uh, overcome. And so anyway, that's kind of a tangent. I apologize. But going back to the switching back now kind of roles, you know, was any of it real? I would say that the reality is in most cases, yeah, there were lots of parts of it that were real. And I can speak to that to my own experience. Um, there were many cases, much of my relationship with my wife, even during the deepest addiction years, was real, legitimate, and authentic. Now, the reality was, is it was obviously poisoned in a lot of ways that we're going to discuss uh, by other things, but it was still a very, uh, still a loving relationship. But the problem is, is for you spouses out there, and I'm sure you're feeling this now, is that especially at the beginning of this process, there's no way for to filter out, right, the, the truth from the lie, because trust is at an all-time low, right? And everything that uh, your partner is saying is just talk, right? Talk is cheap. And, uh, and so it's normal to question that, uh, but I would, and obviously every case is different, but I would say in many cases, a lot of it was real, but it's going to take time and effort to kind of figure out the answers to those questions. But more importantly, it's going to take time to figure out not only was any of it real, but the real question is, can it be real going forward? And that's, I think the most important piece to kind of keep in mind as you're asking yourself that question of, was any of it real? Can we be real going forward? Can he be real? Can I be real? Can this be a real relationship from here forward? Yeah, and I think, Steve, I think you've really covered uh, another important factor that that women will often ask, how can I trust again? Can I ever trust him again, hmm. right? And we've really, I think we've addressed that. There's nothing that a husband can do to make you trust him again, right? It's, it's really, he can, of course, be in solid recovery, he can make certain that he is honest from this time forward to fully disclose what's happened in the past. And if he has relapses or stumbles along the way going forward, no more, no more lying, no more deceiving, no more hiding. There's openness, there's transparency, yeah. there's vulnerability. And that is a key factor to being able to establish trust again. But that's going to happen over time. It's going to be yeah. a process that's going to be different for everyone. And 
we'll talk in other podcasts about what husbands, the addicts can do in the way of a variety of steps to reestablish trust. But I know I had a hard time with this. You know, okay, I've done all the steps. I've done what I'm supposed to. When's my wife going to trust me again? Come on, honey, let's get with it, right? Click, sure. come on, let's go. Absolutely. And now the husband gets to, as part of his recovery, develop patience, develop a genuine willingness to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes. And that's a true test of whether he's, he's in this thing called recovery. And to, and to let her come along and go through her healing process and her timing and her unfolding as, as that needs to happen and not try to force it or manipulate it or control it. No, that's great. And I'll just speak to that point real quick before we move on. Um, yeah, the, the phrase that comes to mind is, I, I'm not sure where it comes from, but I know it's a popular one, is trust but verify. Uh, like Mark indicated, uh, there is no way at the end of the day to... to uh, get a husband to make a wife trust <laughs> or there's nothing in other words that a husband can do that will cause that to happen. And when I tell wives that in my office, I recognize there's a 50, 50 chance they're going to slug me in the face because that is frustrating news. And, and to be honest with you, it's not fair. It's completely unfair. It, it is just an absolute tragedy that you as a spouse are having to do your own work and are being put in a position of, am I going to trust this relationship again when the trust was lost due to no fault of your own? Um, and so it is frustrating and uh, not okay and not fair, but I do do want to be honest with you, and, and Mark has done a great job of that as well, that, that at the end of the day, choosing to trust him again is going to be one, a process, but two, a choice. Um, you, you'll need to be looking, like we've talked about, to all those other pieces of what he's doing, like Mark indicated, being transparent, proactive, doing whatever it takes, as long as it takes. But at the end of the day, that right to say, uh, you know what, I am done with this relationship and I don't think I'm ever going to go back to it. Or to say, you know what, I'm ready to try again and I think I can give this another go is going to be completely up to you. Um, and so uh, I just want to kind of put that out there. So as we wrap this up, and we talk about, as we, we always try to end these podcasts with real solutions, with real tools, you know, what, what is a woman to do if she's experiencing this betrayal trauma and she's in the, she's in the midst of it, she's buried in it, you know, it's, it's a daily struggle. Where does she go from here? What, how does she begin her own healing and grieving process? What does that look like? It's a great question. Um, there are a couple things to keep in mind. The first is that I'm going to recommend that you guys begin focusing on your own individual work, meaning you and your spouse. Now to most of the couples that first come into my office, that is both frustrating and sounds kind of foreign and strange. You know, the relationship is what's struggling. I'll often hear from people, you know, the relationship's in trouble. You know, this has happened, this has happened, and here we are. And, and there is a, definitely a place for couples therapy. I probably a, half of my sessions are couples therapy based. Um, and oftentimes at the beginning of the process, I will do a few sessions, but those sessions are more kind of psychoeducational, meaning they're around communication, how to establish boundaries, you know, a, a host of other, you know, what is trauma? What is it not? You know, shame and guilt and all the things that we talk about at the beginning of therapy. Um, we will lay some groundwork for that. But really the best way that we have seen to do the work on working on the relationship, at least initially actually is going to feel a little counterintuitive, but it's to be working on yourself. 
Um, and, and that does include both of you. Again, this is not fair for a wife to have to be going through this process on her own. But the reality is, is that both of you need to have a support system to find healing. And definitely wouldn't recommend a, a, a professional who specializes in, in this field. But also, in addition to that, uh, a wide support system of people who care and who really get it. Perhaps the most effective of those that I've seen both with the wives that I work with as well as with my, my, wife, my, my wife today is, is a good 12-step group. Um, there are lots of different fellowships out there. Essanon, which, which is kind of the uh, sexual equivalent of Al-Anon for family members is really helpful. There are others as well. Um, but finding a, a, a support group like that is good for two reasons. The first is it's free and free is always good. But uh, the other reason is because, and now I work with wives all the time. A lot of wives will come to see me specifically because kind of going back to what Mark was saying before, it's, it's actually really healing to work with a, with a man who's gone through this process because it's kind of, it kind of is healing in the sense of, oh, they do exist, you know, some kind of a mentality. Um, but at the end of the day, as, as, as skilled as Mark or I or any other professional might be at what they do, there is an element uh, of healing, I think, that only comes from being, spending time with someone who's in the trenches with you in real time. It's one thing as a therapist to say, you know, in theory, here's all these things that happen, and this is what we see, and da-da-da-da-da. It's a completely other thing for you to be able to go to a group and get really irreverent and just speak your truth and say, you know what, today I just want to murder my husband in his sleep. And instead of, you know, getting a bunch of shoulds or a bunch of, you know, negative feedback to that or getting into the shoulds like we talked about, uh, having a, a space where you can go and have a group of women or men, if, that, if that's the case, who can say, you know what, I felt the same way last week and this is what I did uh, that was helpful for me with that. It's okay to feel that way. That is, that is absolutely critical is, is finding that support system, especially for you, for you wives or, or those partners of addicts, I should say, because uh, as Mark indicated at the beginning of this, the unfortunate reality is, is that when the bottom falls out, either through infidelity or addiction, uh, the focus is always on, on the perpetrator, if you will. That's where all the help goes. That's where all the resources go. And while it's understandable that that needs to happen, there is a real tragedy where oftentimes the partner is left behind. And they're the ones, ironically, who had nothing to do with the situation in the first place. And so you being proactive and taking, taking those first steps is going to be absolutely critical uh, in terms of kind of moving forward. So lots more to that, but that's a good, that's a good starting place to begin. Yep. And that, I think that kind of wraps it up for this podcast. In our next episode, we're going to talk more about the impact of pornography and sexual addiction on the spouse and uh, dig a little deeper into betrayal trauma, what it feels like, uh, how to start to establish safety and boundaries. And so we'll get more into that next time. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve, and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. 
It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.